0: This is the Skeptic Squared Podcast.
1: A safe place to make light of sacred things.
0: My name is Matt.
1: And I'm Corinne.
0: And in this program, we will be discussing current events related to religion, atheism, and skepticism. Our goal is not to insult believers.
1: Although that will probably happen from time to time.
0: But rather to share our point of view on these topics in a way which will benefit and entertain others.
1: Or maybe we just want to stroke our own egos. You decide.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Skeptic Squared podcast. Today is Sunday, April 10th, 2016. And joining me is my wife, Corinne. Hello. How are you doing?
1: Just fine.
0: Just fine.
1: Mm-hmm. How are you? I'm a little right. irritated.
0: A little, a little irritated. <laughs> our, our neighbors are a little noisy. So hopefully it uh, doesn't bleed through into our recordings too much.
1: If you hear any random patches of music, that's what that is. <laughs> right,
0: or just the tones of a movie. Probably a suspenseful movie. I'm guessing
1: sounds kind of like a period piece like not mm. Troy but Troy-esque you know? I was
0: thinking more like a I don't know like a sci-fi movie
1: maybe yeah. like the
0: the broad yeah. tones just yeah which is all it does over and over again <laughs> that was beautiful <laughs>
1: <laughs> it sounds a little bit better than that. Slightly. But Only yeah.
0: because I'm exaggerating the duckiness of the sound. <laughs>
1: yep.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to uh, record anyways, and hopefully we don't get too much background noise. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to start with, um, should we just jump right into the craziness? Just the insanity? Sure. If that's yeah. how you want to do it, yeah. All right. So we have fairly recently become enthralled with a man named Alex Jones, <laughs> who uh, who I like to, to think of as sort of the baby faced Rush Limbaugh, uh, you know,
2: Yep.
0: Rush Limbaugh is kind of getting old. Alex Jones is probably 10 or 20 years younger than he is anyway, still has that, that raspy fat man voice, you know, <laughs> <Fat man> voice. <laughs> And and as soon as I hit play, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so anyway, so this is a clip that we found. Um, what's the title on this thing? Alex Jones will save humanity from Satan. This clip is is from the right wing Right Wing Watch blog YouTube page, mm-hmm. which is a mouthful. Yes. So RWW News.
3: Okay. You are under attack, and the illusion is you can join different parts of this system and be a winner. It is a metric scientific mathematical algorithm of tyranny that is extremely... (laughs)
1: it's like right off the bat you know he's crazy like this was the first ever Alex Jones clip I watched and Uh I didn't know if it was serious at first it took me a while remember yeah
0: yeah no he's legit like he really believes the weird crazy stuff coming out of his mouth it's like he's he's, only getting warmed up
1: yeah oh yeah and it's like he thinks that if he strings together like two or three four really long words it just Mm -hmm. makes him sound more legit Mm -hmm. and believable oh my gosh
0: Vocabulary is the same thing as uh, aptitude. Right. And ham sandwich.
3: (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Mathematical algorithm of tyranny that is extremely sophisticated that could even predict the future. Now, I told you that 18 years ago. That's been mainstream news for two years now.
1: Do you know what he's talking about?
0: I have no idea what he's talking about.
3: I don't either. A
0: mathematical (laughs) algorithm of tyranny Yeah, that's now been mainstream news for two years? For two years. What on earth could he possibly be talking about?
1: I don't know. And the tone in your voice makes it sound like you know.
0: I don't know. I'm legitimately confused by (laughs)
1: it.
0: (laughs) But this is like, I don't know. He's just going to get even worse yeah. and more confusing. But
1: he's like this in all of his clips. Like you mm-hmm. don't know half the time what he's actually talking about, mm-hmm. especially in the clips because from what I can gather, like most of his shows are like 3 4 hours long.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. Like a legit radio show.
1: Yeah, it yeah. yeah so that's... these clips kind of seem to jump in the middle of something. Uh uh-huh.
0: but... and that's the other thing is while we're listening to this man just ramble on about insane things, insane theories. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind he has an audience. Yeah, I don't know how big his audience is, but he's got.
1: It's got to be pretty big nice to display. finding it.
0: Yeah, like the, the the video quality is pretty decent. Yeah, he's got a nice display behind him. Decent audio equipment. Like, if nothing else, he has a lot of money.
1: <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure he does. From listening to another one of his videos. So.
0: Yeah, weren't you saying that he had a, a rich upbringing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Yep. Rich people with microphones and well, crazy theories. He
1: grew up in a modest-sized three-story mansion. <laughs> 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 Basically oh, his words.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> what we're talking about. We told you not having gut floor is the number one cause of cancer. Now the federal government comes out with all the top research facilities and says, yes, it's true. They've known all along they're targeting the gut. It is a very small group. A few thousand people are in on the whole deal, okay? And through compartmentalization, they're rolling it out. And so it doesn't help us if, let's say, all two million police in the country got shot in the back of the head. There would just be anarchy and all sorts of problems, and they just bring in foreign troops. Before you talk about killing people, you better talk about educating them. And if you come over all creepy, you come over all angry, you come over all weird, they're not going to listen. If you come over with light in your eyes and say, listen, there's a globalist takeover. Here's the plan. People listen. They know the truth. So all I'm saying is I'm trying to save humanity. I'm trying to have a future for my kids. The globalists are building a world, in their own words, where normal human life is over. It's a total revolution against the planet itself. It's an elite playing God. And I've done my research, and even 10 years ago, I wasn't like this. I talk about it, I get chills, folks. It's the devil, okay? The
0: church- <laughs> it's the devil, okay?
1: <laughs> it's only just about to get good. I uh, know,
0: Yeah, so, so he's talking about a globalist takeover, the elite... Kind of duping the, the the common man and making them sick with cancer, like targeting their gut. Hmm. They knew all along that the gut was the key to cancer, and they're they're targeting that as a way of like controlling the masses or something. I think is what he's hinting at. Yeah. And and now we're about to get into the good stuff.
3: Aren't going to tell you it is an alien force, not of this world, attacking humanity, like the Bible <laughs> and every other ancient text says. And you can read the Bible, it's hiding in plain view, folks. It's not of this world. I don't know exactly what it is or what it's doing, but this is not human intelligence, okay? It's not human intelligence we're facing! I refuse to fight with everybody! All the stupid racist white people, the stupid racist black people, all the stupid racist Mexicans, all of you! I can't stand you, you're idiots! We're (laughs) under attack! Everybody's (laughs) under attack! The elite hate Trump, let me tell you. If he is a PSYOP, he's the most sophisticated one I ever saw. And even if he is, he's a revelation of the awakening. And They're having to pull this trick to try to divert us. Doesn't matter. It's part of the awakening. Humanity has got to get off world. We have We, we need access to life extension technologies. Talk about discrimination. Forget skin color. I want the advanced life extension. I want to go to space. I want to see interdimensional travel. I want what God promised us. And I won't sit here and watch Satan steal it. That's the fight. That's the key. That's everything. <laughs>
1: the end part is my favorite. Absolutely my favorite. Uh, he, just,
0: he just loses it. Yeah. Just fantastic.
1: Yeah. I want interdimensional travel. I yeah. want to go to space. I want to
0: live for a really long time. That's As long as my quality yeah. of
1: life follows that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, that's the other thing. Was yeah. it, wasn't it uh, Penn Jillette on uh, one of their uh, Penn and Teller BS shows? They talk about uh, life extension and how um, there's no evidence to show that extending one's life improves ideas. Yeah. Quality, yeah, yeah.
1: Ideas. yeah. yeah. I think that was on the Old Folks mm-hmm. episode.
0: Crazy stuff.
1: He is crazy. I just love that he is literally shouting. Yeah, he's just screaming. Like watching the video is just really entertaining.
0: So so he's one of our new favorites. We may have him on again.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep. Definitely conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. Heavy into uh, alternative medicine. Mm-hmm. pretty sure he's an anti vaxxer.
0: Yeah, which is crazy considering he wants, like, human life extension. Right. It's like... Well, how do you get human life extension if not through things like medicine and vaccinations oh, yeah. and stuff like that that'll yeah. actually extend your life?
1: Right. Yeah, I can't say for sure if he's an anti-vaxxer, but I he does. It sounds like he doesn't like the flu vaccine at least.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that one's a common target. Mm-hmm. That one in, was it—measle, mumps, rubella. Or?
1: Yeah, but that one's legitimately dangerous not to have.
0: Yeah. Well, that's true. There, there is a a difference in magnitude there. Yeah. Like if you don't get your MMR, you have a very high risk of getting really sick and dying, which is a trend that we're seeing now. Mm -hmm. Like there was the outbreak at at Disneyland. There's, you know, a few uh, fundamentalist Christian groups down in like Texas and a few other areas that they've been all anti-vax. And then they get these uh, like measles outbreaks that just kill, you know, like a hundred kids because they didn't get their shots, you know. Like, even if there was any truth to the idea that having an MMR vaccine would increase your likelihood of getting autism, I'd rather have autism than die of the measles. You know? Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Autism can be rough, but at least it's something you can live with.
0: Exactly. Anyway, um, should we shift gears to one of your your articles?
1: Sure. Like I said, they're not very long, but... That's fine. First one I just wanted to bring up. I brought this up to you the other night at dinner, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug Dynasty star Willie Robertson <laughs> joins Fox News as contributor and podcast host. Uh, so, yeah. That, that, that's a, That's a thing now. Since that, April 4th.
0: I don't understand why people care what that family thinks.
1: I don't know why either.
0: You know, it's like... Like, look at, uh, say, 10 years ago when Flavor Flav was all over reality TV, okay? He was a charismatic guy. He was entertaining to watch. He, he was into really weird things and really weird women and all that kind of stuff. Is
1: he the one that wore the giant clock around yes. his neck?
0: Mm-hmm. He's an old rapper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, like, his thing back mm-hmm. in the 90s. Anyway, but I would never, ever, ever take his advice, no. like, seriously. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah you know Mm
1: -hmm.
0: anyway so Um, anything else in the article about what he's going to be talking about or what he's going to start
1: well they don't really talk about what he's going to do what like what um, kind of contribution he's going to be making Mm -hmm. on Fox News but he's also getting a podcast that's um, going to be run through Fox News that where he's Hmm. going to be talking about faith and family so
0: wasn't he the one that was in God's Not Dead you know that cameo Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that does, that should give you some idea of where he's coming from. He's very fundamentalist Christian, mm-hmm. um, despite being very hairy. And, yeah, no <laughs> yeah.
1: okay. kidding. And apparently he's a Trump supporter. So. Hmm.
0: You know, it it shouldn't shock me when I hear that certain people are fans of Trump, but it always does. Yeah. It's like really. It doesn't really? actually
1: surprise me that he's a fan of Trump.
0: Really? Yeah. I just don't understand the appeal of Donald Trump, honestly.
1: Have you ever watched one of their episodes
0: of Duck Dynasty?
1: Yeah,
0: Um, I did a long time ago, before we even met um, Mm -hmm. at work. Like the the kids at the facility were watching it. Um, One of the other staff was a big fan of the show, and he he like pulled it up. He's like, "Hey guys, you gotta check this out. This is the greatest show ever. It's my new favorite thing." And they started watching it and. And all I, all I remember is a bunch of hairy rednecks trying to clean, like, a rain gutter on their house. And it was just, like, this big fiasco. Like, they were just Everything completely incompetent. It seems to be
1: a f- big fiasco until, like, the very end. Right. Know? Everything cleans up nicely.
0: It's like, how hard can it be to clean a rain gutter? Like, I've
1: cleaned a rain gutter.
0: Yeah. Like, it's not that hard. I <laughs> I grew up in Seattle, and we had, like, our rain gutters would get filled up with debris all the time. Like, leaves and twigs and things would, would get into it. It was like... Uh, it's not that hard to clean. (laughs) Anyway. So that's it for old Willie Robertson.
1: Yep. That's all I wanted to. I just think it's funny.
0: Yeah. He's going to try to to take the uh, limelight away from Glenn Beck, try to fill his shoes.
1: I don't, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's their counterbalance to the whole Megan Kelly Trump feud.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've, I mean, Fox News from the very beginning has been kind of wishy-washy with Trump. Like yeah. they've been talking, like they started out very much against him mm-hmm. and were pro various other people that were against Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, But as, you know, more and more people just drop out of the race, they're stuck with Trump. And so they have to kind of change their tune and try to play the whole, oh, we were just, you know, being political. We were trying to have a debate and, you know, (laughs) it's like, no, you guys legitimately didn't like Trump like eight months ago. (laughs) But anyway. okay, so let's do one of my articles. So this is an older article, actually. Um, from Answers in Genesis. It was originally written in 2006, but was updated last month. Oh. So that's why it popped up in my feed. Okay, Okay. so the the title is Seven Reasons Why We Should Not Accept Millions of Years. Um, so Answers in Genesis is a Christian organization that um, is, is very much in favor of young earth creationism. They take the Bible literally word for word. Is this
1: Ken's ham thing? Yes. Ken ham. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, and Ken ham is the guy who's in charge of the big arc exhibit in Kentucky or Tennessee. Yes. Or, I think
1: it's Kentucky. Or, is it Kentucky?
0: Yeah. It's, it's the same state as the creation museum that he opened like five or six years ago or whenever that was.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So same guy. He literally believes everything in the Bible believes in the flood, all that stuff. Um, and so when you read their stuff, it, it always comes from the place that the Bible is literally true. Whenever they talk about reasons why, you know, science is wrong about a particular thing, the first thing they always go to is it contradicts the Bible. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it can't be true. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like when in, uh, with Mormon apologetics, when you have evidence come out that, that suggests that native Americans, um, have no common ancestor with, um, with, uh, the ancient Jews, at least not in the time frame suggested in the Book of Mormon, Mormon apologists come out with statements saying why they're wrong, mm-hmm. you know, or why, they're, why we wouldn't expect there to be evidence, <laughs> Right, that kind of malarkey. So, so this is more or less an apologetics group, I guess, mm-hmm. um, is one way to look at it. Mm-hmm. So the first point that they have is the Bible clearly teaches that God created in six literal 24-hour days a few thousand years ago. Okay. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, So let me just read it. There's a little bit of Hebrew in this, so I'll probably mispronounce stuff, but I'll give it my best. The Hebrew word for for day in Genesis one is yom. In the vast majority of its uses in the Old Testament, it means a literal day. Where it doesn't, where it doesn't, the context. Oh my gosh. And where it doesn't, the context makes this clear. That is, that's what they actually say. Uh,
1: and where it doesn't, the context makes this clear. Yeah.
0: Okay. My brain is just not understanding
1: that sentence. It's still kind of poorly phrased, but I. Okay, okay. so.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, similarly, the context of Genesis 1 clearly shows that the days of creation were literal days. First, Yom is defined as the first time it is used in the Bible. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I am really struggling with this. <laughs> First, yom is defined the first time it is used in the Bible in its two literal senses, the light portion of the light-dark cycle and the whole light-dark cycle. Second yom, sorry, second, comma, yom is used in evening and morning. Everywhere these two words are used in the Old Testament, either together or separately, and with or without yom in the context, they always mean a literal meaning or morning, evening or morning of a literal day. Third, Yom is modified with a number, one day, second day, third day, and so on, which everywhere else in the Old Testament indicates literal days. Fourth, Yom is defined literally in Genesis 1.14 in relation to the heavenly bodies. That these creation days happened only about 6,000 years ago is clear from the genealogies of Genesis 5 and 11, which give very detailed chronological information, unlike the clearly abbreviated genealogy in Matthew Matthew 1 and other chronological information in the Bible. Um, So were you ever taught that the earth is uh, only 6,000 years old? Did that ever come up in any of your your, uh, Sunday school lessons or anything like that?
1: I'm trying to think. It probably did. Just because it is a thing that I feel like I was Mm -hmm. taught, but I can't recall any specific... Mm -hmm. I feel like it was more talked about in seminary. Yeah? Yeah. Do
0: you remember anything that they said about it in seminary? Uh, I don't. See, when...
1: I I just remember being really concerned by it. I think it was like my junior year. We had this big group seminary um, gathering in um in the church nearby and it was like a question and answer type thing like we all got to write down a question or whatever on a sticky note and give it to the seminary teachers and they all would take turns reading off the questions and answering them Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and i I was like really concerned about how the dinosaurs worked into everything and i'm Mm -hmm. assuming that was probably because we had had like a recent lesson on that because it just didn't make sense
0: Well, yeah, because there's nothing in the Bible about dinosaurs.
1: And I didn't get an answer. Mm -hmm. They read the question and said, that's something that we're not going to discuss today. (laughs) And they moved on. (laughs) It's something that will
0: will be uh, explained later, probably after your death. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so with with my upbringing, it was kind of a mixed bag.
1: Oh, right. You had, yeah, like the Discovery Channel and stuff that your mom would let you watch. Mm
0: -hmm. And, uh, but it wasn't always like that. There were, there were times like in, uh, like sacrament meeting when I was in high school, I remember the the bishop getting up and saying that we don't know how long a day is. Like the bar, the, right. the Doctrine and Covenants yeah. says like a thousand of our years is equal to one day mm-hmm. for God. And so the earth may be quite a bit older than what the Bible suggests literally and blah, blah, blah. Mm, He's yep. trying to play like the, the more nuanced mm-hmm. um, version of it. Yeah. But even so, even if you take into the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, take into that Take that into account, um, you still only get a few thousand more years, you know.
1: Still nowhere near what the actual right of the Earth is. like
0: millions and millions of years. <laughs> yeah, you know, but but there are people that I know um, who who are who are raised Mormon who never heard about young Earth creationism, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It just seems like it's a little inconsistent. Maybe the church is trying to get away from it. If you start doing any research into like the uh, the older prophets and what they had to say about evolution and the Big Bang and that kind of stuff, which is something that I did in high school. I mm-hmm. would actually look up stuff like that. Um, then you, you see that they very much believed in young earth creationism mm-hmm. um, and the 6,000 years and all that right. kind of stuff. And then there's the uh, Doctrine and Covenants. I forget which section it is. It's like seventy or something like that, um, where it talks about the seven seals.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah, it says that, that I
1: remember having lessons on.
0: Yeah, so the seven seals. Each seal is a dispensation. Mm-hmm. Each dispensation is a thousand years, which mm-hmm. has their own prophet. So like Jesus is the prophet or the main figure of his dispensation. Mm-hmm. Joseph Smith is the main prophet or figure of his dispensation. Mm-hmm. Adam was the first one in his first dispensation, mm-hmm. and so on. You know, mm-hmm. um, every thousand years there's like a main guy. Right. Um, and so. I don't know it just seems like Mormons haven't quite the, the church hasn't quite come out and said what it is they really believe with regards to that
1: right um, right
0: and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the evidence is coming out against what they have traditionally been teaching mm-hmm. and so they they're kind of hiding away from it um, to just kind of see where the evidence goes right you know because if it turns okay. out that evidence comes out that says that the earth really isn't that old <gasps> Look, we were right all along. Right. You know. <laughs> yep. You know, and if, it's, if it continues to show that it's millions of years old, they can say, oh, well, you know, they were speaking as man back then. We haven't really had much to say about it specifically over the last few years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it makes sense. Like right. we, can, we, can, we can jive with that. You know? We can
1: jive with that. I'm yeah. sure that's exactly the <laughs> phrase that's going to come out of their mouths. Yeah.
0: Well, knowing Thomas Monson. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he probably won't be around long enough for that.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, Okay, so moving on. The second point, Exodus 20.11, blocks all attempts to fit millions of years into Genesis 1. This verse gives the reason for God's command to Israel to work six days and then take a Sabbath rest. Yom is used in both parts of the commandment. If God meant that the Jews were to work six days because he created over six long periods of time... He could have said that using one of three indefinite Hebrew uh, time words. He chose the only word that means a literal day, and the Jews understood it literally. Um, he just kind of goes on, you know, more about how like the word yom means one day. Um, again, all of this, all of this, um, is contingent on the Bible being true. Mm-hmm. So that's why you shouldn't believe scientific evidence. <laughs> Three, Noah's flood washes away millions of years.
1: <laughs> I love Noah's flood. <laughs> <I know. laughs>
0: they, they just they cannot let it go. No. They yeah. And I get why. Like it's it's such a central story to the Bible, mm-hmm. you know. Like if it isn't true, if the flood didn't really happen the way that it's described, then that brings into question everything else in the Bible. Yep. You know. Um, let's see. The evidence for Genesis 6 through 9 for a global catastrophic flood is overwhelming. Overwhelming, Corey.
1: Overwhelming.
0: Overwhelming.
1: I'm overwhelmed.
0: Mm-hmm. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, for example, the flood was intended to destroy not only all sinful people but also all land animals and birds and the surface of the earth which only a global flood could accomplish the ark's purpose was to save two of every kind of land animal and bird to repopulate the earth after the flood the ark was totally unnecessary if the if the flood was local people animals and birds could have migrated out of the flood zone before it occurred or the zone could have been populated from creatures outside the area after the flood, the catastrophic nature is seen in the nonstop rain for at least uh, 40 days, which would have produced massive erosion, mudslides, hurricanes, and so on. The Hebrew words translated, the fountains of the great deep burst open in Genesis 7-11.
1: That rain would have had to be um, like waterfall type rain for yeah, 40 days in to, order to cover up like mountains.
0: Mm-hmm, to cover up Mount Everest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Let's see. So the Hebrew words translated, the fountains of the great deep burst open, clearly point to tectonic rupturing of the earth's surface in many places for 150 days, resulting in volcanoes, earthquakes, and tsunamis. Noah's flood would produce exactly the kind of complex geological record we see today worldwide. Thousands of feet of sediments clearly deposited by water and later hardened into rock and containing billions of fossils if the year-long flood is responsible for most of the rock layers and fossils then these rocks and fossils cannot represent the history of the earth over millions of years as evolutionists claim
2: okay
0: so there's a whole lot of stuff to unpack to, uh, to unpack in that
2: mm-hmm.
0: um basically what he's saying is um, all of the like the way that the strata are organized where you have like the like the micro uh, stuff at the very bottom, and then you get the slightly more complex stuff, and you just keep working your way up, mm-hmm. and then you get like the dinosaurs, and then you get like a small land of mammals and birds, and and just keep going all the way. Um, he's saying that that arrangement. Um, is exactly what you would expect from a flood that killed everything, and the the way that they often describe the process is like the floods the the, the heavens co- like open up and like the water just dumps down and it sort of churns all of the sediment mm-hmm. and all of the silt and and takes all of these uh, dead animals and like takes their bones and stuff and and it just lets it kind of um mixed together together, right and uh it's it's like um when it starts to settle it's like uh like a a thing of dressing like italian dressing where you have like the oil and the vinegar or whatever and and like you have like the little chunks that are less dense going to the top and the stuff that's more dense going to the bottom and so because dinosaurs are bigger um they go to the bottom see
1: (laughs) right but isn't that not how it's organized
0: not in, not entirely no, because right. you still have the microscopic fossils at the very very bottom. Right. Um, so yeah.
1: the dinosaurs should be at the bottom if that's mm-hmm. to be believed, right?
0: And if that were really the case, then you wouldn't have any of the fossils intact, right? Like it would just be. You wouldn't
1: find whole dinosaurs,
0: right? You would find like They'd bones mean, like, like all Asia, over the place, yeah. North
1: America,
0: mm-hmm. and, yeah. and you wouldn't have any footprints. You wouldn't have any eggs. No. You know, like all of that stuff would just be yeah, just dismantled. Would, yeah. Mm-hmm. And where did all the water go? Right.
1: It all <laughs> evaporated. Yeah. Really fast. Clearly.
0: Yeah. Um, let's see. Number four Jesus was a young earth creationist. Did you know that?
1: There are a lot of things about Jesus I don't know.
0: Yeah. Um, Jesus consistently treated the miracle accounts of the Old Testament as straightforward, truthful, historical accounts. Because um, that's blah, the blah.
1: time he was brought up in. They yeah. all did. Yeah, that's not anything new,
0: right? Which, of course, doesn't mean that the Earth is actually six thousand years old. You know, that's right. not a point of evidence. That
1: means they didn't have science. Mm-hmm.
0: It just means that if Jesus believed that, if he really existed, um, then that's just he was just following the tradition that he was raised in. Right. You know, there's nothing really groundbreaking in that, and it certainly isn't evidence.
1: Mm-mm. Especially because you still have to prove that Jesus was real.
0: Mm-mm. And the Son of God.
1: Yes. (laughs) Which would be harder to prove.
0: Mm -hmm. Number five. Belief in millions of years undermines the Bible's teaching on death and on the character of God.
1: Wait, undermines what about the Bible?
0: Belief in millions of years undermines the Bible's teaching on death and on the character of God. How so? Genesis 1 says six times that God called the creation good. And when he finished creation on day six, he called everything very good. Man and animals and birds were originally vegetarian. There's no evidence for that whatsoever. But this is how they, they get around the whole idea that there was no the death. death. Yeah. Um, plants are not living creatures as people and animals are, according to scripture. Um, but Adam and Eve sinned, resulting in the judgment of God on the whole creation. Instantly, Adam and Eve died spiritually. <laughs> There's that nice little workaround against you know, the idea that uh, they would die the day that they right. took the, uh, the fruit.
1: Yep, I do remember being taught that.
0: Mm-hmm. So Adam and Eve died spiritually, and after God's curse, they began to die physically. The serpent and Eve were changed physically, and the ground itself was cursed. The whole creation now groans in bondage to corruption, waiting for the final redemption of Christians.
1: Did it say the serpent was changed?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Changed to what? I don't know. Because in in Mormon theology, it's not actually a serpent. Calling him a serpent is just more of a metaphor. Right. Um, So maybe they literally mean a serpent, like a snake. Some Christians do believe that the serpent really means a snake.
1: Right. Yeah, I know that.
0: So I don't know. I don't know like how a weird it would change. Thing to add. Okay. Um, the whole creation now groans in bondage to corruption, waiting for the final redemption of Christians, when we will see the restoration of all things. To state a similar, to a state similar, sorry, to the pre-fall world, when there will be no more carnivore behavior and no disease, suffering, or death, because there will be no more curse. To accept millions of years of animal death before the creation and fall of man contradicts and destroys the Bible's teaching on death and the full redemptive work of Christ. It also makes God into a bumbling creator, sorry, it also makes God into a bumbling cruel creator who uses or can't prevent disease, natural disasters, and extinctions to mar his creative work without any moral cause, but calls it all very good." Um, right. So he's talking about the idea that there's evidence, some of the evidence that we use to point to the millions of years theory, um, comes from the fact that there's lots of stuff that had, had died, right? Like fossils, um, you have oil, um, and, and things like that. Um, and he's saying that if you believe or accept that those things died before 6,000 years ago, then you're contradicting the Bible. Therefore, um, It doesn't count, or whatever. Does that make sense?
1: Sure. Okay. (laughs)
0: Um, The idea, number six, the idea of millions of years did not come from scientific facts.
1: Okay. Is this their whole, it's a theory? No, it's
0: it's even worse than that. Um, It was developed by deistic and atheistic geologists in the late 18th and early 19th century. Okay. So he's, he's basically trying to use ad hominem attacks to mm-hmm. discredit their stuff. Mm-hmm. These men used anti-biblical, philosophical, and religious assumptions to interpret the geological observations in a way that plainly contradicted the biblical account of creation, the flood, and the age of the earth. <laughs> he's trying to suggest that they had a bias against the Bible. Right. Um, most church leaders and scholars quickly compromised using the gap theory day-age view, local flood view, and so on, to try to fit deep time into the Bible. But they did not understand the geological arguments, nor did they defend their views by careful Bible study. The deep time idea flows out of the naturalistic assumptions, not scientific observations. So basically he's saying that any evidence that they point to is not real evidence. It's just them being biased
1: right, because they didn't because they didn't use the Bible.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, last one, number seven. And this is one that I actually have argued with people um, over, including Mormons. Hmm. Radiometric dating methods do not prove millions of years. Hmm. Okay. Um, I don't know if you know much about radiometric dating. Um, there's different forms of radiometric dating. The most common is carbon-14. Mm-hmm. And it basically just measures like um, the rate that it deteriorates. And if you work backwards, you can tell how long it's been deteriorating. Um, but you don't have to use carbon-14. You can use different elements. Okay? Mm-hmm. There's lots of different elements that you can measure because mm-hmm. they, they generally have a pretty consistent deterioration rate. Um, But that's not the only thing that we use. Radiometric dating isn't always accurate. Carbon-14 dating is one of the least accurate. It has the greatest margin of error. And there are some times when something that is millions of years old might show up to be only a few thousand years old. Okay? Or vice versa. Something that's only a few thousand years old might show up to be significantly older. Okay? Um, but it's not—it's—it's it's a, a small percentage of things that are measured that way that come up with that kind of error. And you can use independent, or you can use other methods to verify or disprove the the dating method. Um, meaning, you could use carbon-14 dating, and if it gets uh, something that sounds like it's not quite right, mm-hmm. like it's not what you would expect, you can use another radiometric dating method. Or you can use something else, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's lots of different ways to verify it. Okay. So you don't just rely on carbon-14 dating. Right. Okay. But Ken Ham and his his cronies always stick with carbon-14 because that's the one that has the most mistakes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here's what they have to say. Radiometric dating was not developed until the early 20th century, by which time the whole world had already accepted the millions of years. Okay. The whole, world. <laughs> the whole world. For many years, creation scientists have cited many examples in the published scientific literature of these dating methods, clearly giving erroneous dates. For example, a date of millions of years for lava flows that occurred in the past few hundred years or even decades. Okay. So they give an example of where carbon dating didn't really work. It wasn't accurate. In recent years... Creationists in the Rate Project have done experimental, theoretical, and field research to uncover more such evidence. Example diamonds and coal, which evolutionists say are millions of years old, were dated by carbon 14 to be only thousands of years old. Okay, so another example where carbon 14 dating didn't didn't work. work. And to show that decay rates were orders of magnitude faster in the past, which shrinks the millions of years dates to thousands of years confirming the Bible. Okay. So basically they're saying with that one, that last comment that carbon 14 dating isn't accurate because there's evidence, which they don't actually point to, um, that suggests that the rate has not been consistent, that it's actually accelerated Mm -hmm. over time Mm -hmm. or it used to, used to go much faster in Mm -hmm. the past. Um, But again, they don't have any real evidence to support that, at least not that I've seen. Um, Yeah, so basically all of it is, like all seven points are that um, science can't be right because it contradicts the Bible. Right. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Which
1: isn't a very firm leg to stand on.
0: It's not. And it's something that I I tried to square those things. I mean, this is something that I've talked about on the show before. Mm -hmm. You know, you have different things that, uh, that contradict Mormonism or, or just general Christian beliefs. And uh, when you start finding evidence that contradicts it, like, what do you do? Like, how do you square those things? Um, and I tried for a really long time to find ways to make those things fit together.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But, you know, things like this um make it really hard to do so because it it is contingent on you dis, just kind of ignoring all of the evidence mm-hmm. and saying that it's not real it's not valid it's a form of denial i think
1: definitely a form of denial
0: mhm um anyway so you have another article that you wanted to get to
1: sure um this one comes from indiana um uh, a trooper has been uh, let go because Mm -hmm. he's been preaching on the job after he pulls people over. Oh, I think I heard about this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Apparently he did it, like... He's done it a few times. The most recent was in January and they've had like a two-month internal investigation into the matter and they finally decided to let him go Mm -hmm. um, because he pulls these people over and then asks if um, they've been saved, Mm -hmm. what church they go to, and then he gives them information on his church, invites them to church, and kind of just proselytizes. Which is just
0: so, super inappropriate for a yeah, police officer. It is
1: super inappropriate. And that's kind of what his, uh, I don't know, the main mm-hmm. cop guy, whatever they're called. <laughs> the captain? <laughs> captain. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. Basically said he's like, um, you know, he doesn't have a problem with the officer's religion. Mm-hmm. The problem is that he's infringing on other people's rights, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. why they decided ultimately exactly. to let him go. Mm-hmm. He has like a 15-day grace period where he can like file a countersuit or whatever and try mm-hmm. and get his job back, but for the most part, he's been let go. So I just thought that was good news. It's yeah. nice, especially in Indiana.
0: Oh, yeah, where they have the uh, the bill that came out last year that allows businesses to discriminate against um, yeah. people for religious reasons. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah,
1: so... And it's also nice, too, because of all those other states where, like, cops are putting in God We Trust stickers on their mm-hmm. cars and stuff. So, yeah. What yeah. has been let go?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we haven't talked much about that kind of stuff, um, mm-hmm. like separation of church and state and all that. Um, but, I mean, it's it's similar to a conversation that you and I had early on mm-hmm. um, when I pointed out how how frustrated I get when people at work at the treatment center that I work at try to talk about their religion in front of the patients Mm -hmm. and, and you had asked, well, why is it inappropriate? Mm -hmm. You know, you remember this conversation? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and my response was, I mean, it's, it's just inappropriate because it's like they're not there for church. They have a position of authority over the patients. They, yeah. they can make them do certain things. And and it's a, a way for the patients to kind of curry favor for, uh, you know, different staff or whatever. Yeah. And it just creates this, this uh, imbalance, this dynamic that doesn't help in a therapeutic setting, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why so many hospitals and uh, mental hospitals – Um, And treatment centers have policies in place that don't allow staff to proselytize to patients Mm -hmm. because it can be a form of of coercion and abuse, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and so they just they just have these blanket policies that say just don't talk about your personal beliefs. It's fine to, for example, like uh, a lot of kids. Um, that I work with have like a history class where they're learning about the Muslim faith or maybe they're learning about the Crusades or something in one of their classes. Mm -hmm. And so they'll ask things about like, well, why did the Catholics do this? Like, Mm -hmm. why do they believe this? Or or what is it that they actually believe? And that kind of stuff. And in that kind of context, it's different because Mm -hmm. you're talking about it in a historical sense and it's educational, Mm -hmm. right? It's not about proselytizing and trying to convince them that your personal worldview is correct and that they need to convert to be a, a good person mm-hmm. you know, um, but despite those things, um, the fact that you know I work at a treatment center in Utah county, mm-hmm. which is only a few miles away from BYU, mm-hmm.
2: um,
0: which is a Mormon university, um, I still have to deal with people proselytizing to patients, mm-hmm. you know like yeah. I've seen uh, a staff take two patients into a bedroom to say prayers, you know, hmm. and I've seen other staff. Um, I, I saw one staff who was not a believer start talking to a, a patient about their beliefs and a shift manager noticed and told them to stop it. <laughs> okay. You know, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. and, uh, and then there's, you know, and, and one of the ways that a lot of staff that I work with kind of get around this
1: they talk to each other about it. Exactly. They talk
0: to each other about their religious beliefs mm-hmm. and all the, because I mean most of them are Mormon and they, right. they're they all active and they all have callings in the church and go to activities mm-hmm. and things. And so they talk about those things. Mm-hmm. Like for instance um, they recently finished uh, the Provo, New new Provo Temple, mm-hmm. right? And so everybody just kept talking about, you know, how great it was that they were doing this and all of the, the uh, artisan and work um, that was being done and how, mm-hmm. how much money they're putting into this thing and, and the and, how cool it is like historically mm-hmm. and they talk about it in front of the girls, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of thing is, um, I mean, when they're talking about the temple, it doesn't really bother me that much because most of the kids don't really know what, what it is right. or why it's important to Mormons. Uh-huh. Um, but then you have instances where like last year when the Supreme court ruled to, uh, allow gay marriage. Yeah,
1: that
0: one was awful. Um, and all of a sudden all of the Mormon uh, people that I work with start being very vocal mm-hmm. um, about their opposition to gay marriage mm-hmm. in front of the girls that I work with mm-hmm. in particular. And I had more than one girl um, come up to me and just say how mad they were
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, at this staff or that staff or, or just all staff in staff, general. staff yeah. in general um, um, about, about how vocal they are in opposition to gay mm-hmm. marriage. And they just feel like they can't trust the staff. Mm-hmm. They feel like um, well, it's, it's more than that. It's like the, uh, it creates this barrier, Yeah, you know, it's an us, them kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the kids that I work with struggle with gender identity and sexual orientation and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And, and when they see that staff that they're working with, people that they're supposed to confide in, mm-hmm. um, especially when they're upset
2: mm-hmm.
0: are discriminatory against potentially them. hmm they won't confide. They mm-hmm. won't talk to them. They won't work with them therapeutically. Mm-hmm. It gets in the way of yeah. them doing their job, mm-hmm. you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's problematic
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's super frustrating. <laughs> yeah.
1: I can only imagine.
0: <laughs> so anyway, anything else on uh, the article or on church and state separation? Nope. Nope.
1: There's plenty. I'm sure we could talk about, but
0: yeah, nah. Um, so kind of going back to um, the article that I had talked about um, where they kind of use the Bible as a way of um, denying evidence. Mm-hmm.
1: The one we just talked about?
0: Yes. Okay. Um, one of the things that I've been wanting to talk about on the show for the last few weeks is faith crises. Mm. Okay. Now, I went through a faith crisis Pretty much by myself mm-hmm. I didn't tell anybody
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, I moved away from everybody that I knew uh, everybody that was uh, you know hardcore Mormon um, that would have tried to bring me back mm-hmm. um, I didn't um, really interact with family as much well I, I don't know I, I was pretty good at faking it around family right. and I would go to church functions with family sometimes. Mm-hmm. Just kind of to save face.
1: Right. Well, it helped that the bulk of your family wasn't in, in the state, too.
0: Right. Right. But, but for the most part, I, I dealt with it all by myself. Right. Um, and one of the things that comes up a lot in ex-Mormon circles and atheist circles is the idea that a faith crisis, losing your, your faith, losing your worldview, so to speak, mm. um, is a type of grief There's a a kind of grief that is associated with that. Mm -hmm. And some people um, have been kind of talking about how uh, the five stages of grief apply to a faith crisis. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that would be kind of interesting to talk about. Um, Because like reading through uh, the descriptions of the different steps, Mm -hmm. I could see how like my experience kind of went along with this. Not like exactly, Mm -hmm. um, but... I don't know we' we'll, we'll go through it and I'll share my experience and you can say like whether or not any of this applied to you when you were going through your crisis. so the very first step is denial okay and i'm and i'm I'm just reading this off of Wikipedia. I went to a few different websites and um, ver- you know most of the websites try to add a lot of commentary. Mm-hmm. The Wikipedia website is just very straightforward okay there's um, the easiest one to read okay. um, so denial the first reaction is denial. In this stage, individuals believe the diagnosis is somehow mistaken and cling to a false, preferable reality.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so they're talking about you know, dealing with death or dying, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the religious context, of course, it would be coming to find information or evidences that contradict your worldview. Um, for instance, if you believe in young earth creationism, finding mm-hmm. out that there's a lot of evidence suggesting that the earth is millions of years old, mm-hmm. okay, um, you can do what Ken Ham does and just deny it all, mm-hmm. try to come up with ways to say that it's invalid, you know, and that, and that was something that I did um, quite a bit.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I mentioned how I would try to, you know, kind of reconcile my beliefs with the science that I was learning and that kind of stuff. Um but even beyond that, like just the philosophical arguments against God, you know, like what evidence is there for God? Is God really there? Does, does prayer really work? Um, does the Mormon, um, you know, Moroni's promise at the back of the Book of Mormon really work? Do you have any reason to suppose that you ever really feel the, the Holy Ghost? Like those sorts of things. And initially, when you start thinking about those sorts of things, um, you just kind of push it in the back of your mind. It's where the concept of the shelf comes from mm-hmm. the metaphorical shelf until eventually the shelf breaks because there's so many unanswered things or unanswerable things that are problematic mm-hmm. um, with a you know, Mormon worldview or religious worldview in general. Um, the second um, step step or stage is anger, um, which for me actually didn't come second But I'll I'll get into that a little Mm -hmm. bit later. Um, When the individual recognizes that denial cannot continue, they become frustrated, especially at proximate individuals, so people close to them. Um, Certain psychological responses of a person undergoing this phase would be, why me? It's not fair. How can this happen to me? Who is to blame? Why would this happen? Okay. Okay. Um, in the context of somebody leaving the Mormon church, a lot of people start to blame the church. They blame, um, Joseph Smith. They blame Brigham Young. Um, they blame the current leaders of the church, or maybe they blame their parents for bringing them up in a false religion and they just become kind of bitter Mm -hmm. towards, uh, you know, the people that put them in this situation, Mm -hmm. you know, and for me, that didn't come until I had, um, started doing more research in Mormonism specifically because when I had my initial faith crisis, it was more, um, fundamental. Like, mm-hmm. is there a God? Um, that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. how, do, how, do, how do we know that, um, prayer works? Like is faith a path to knowledge mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, and it wasn't until I started doing research in Mormonism specifically that I started to get a little bit more angry about it. Um, and feeling more like I wanted to speak out, um, against, in particular, famu- family members. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially when they would talk about political things like gay marriage and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you feel like, you look like you want to say something. No, no. No? Okay. No. Okay. Um,
1: I feel like the stage, like, though, as far as religion is concerned, is kind of sprinkled throughout all of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then uh, number three bargaining Um, the third stage involves the hope that the individual can avoid a cause of grief usually the negotiation for an extended life is made in exchange for a reformed lifestyle Um, people facing less serious trauma can bargain or seek compromise Um, and this to me is like in the religious context um, is like people getting like way deep into Mormon apologetics.
1: Oh, trying you know? to make it work.
0: Right, trying to make it work, like really getting deep into it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that one kind of coincided with denial. Yeah,
1: that's what I was going to say.
0: Um, like you deny that, it, that it's a real thing, that your worldview really is built on, um, you know, a false pretense. Mm-hmm. And you start looking for ways to rationalize it. Okay.
1: I don't know that I ever reached that stage. Bargaining? Bargaining. Mm-hmm. Just thinking about it. Yeah? mm
0: mm-hmm. um, What about the other ones? Did you? I, I imagine denial is pretty universal.
1: Definitely the anger one. Denial, probably a little bit of that. hmm At least in the beginning. Like, the very, very beginning. I guess bargaining may be a little bit, like... Th- when my mom asked me about my testimony Mm -hmm. and saying, I'm not sure if the church is true, but I still believe in a God and a Jesus knowing that that would somehow assuage the situation for her. So Uh I guess that might fall under bargaining, but more of like a compromise. Mm -hmm. I never got into heavy apologetics though. It was like once Joseph Smith was a prophet, the whole thing was bunk and Mm -hmm. I didn't care anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So it, so
0: it fell pretty quick then.
1: It felt yeah, it fell really quick mm-hmm. once I got to that stage.
0: Sick. Yeah, no that's that's good. I wish it had fallen quicker for me. Like I just I just took a really long time with it. And in some of the articles that I read where they talk about this, they talk about the importance of just accepting that you're in a particular stage, mm-hmm. like, for instance, the anger stage, and just really feeling the anger, mm-hmm. like feeling the emotion of being angry about your situation. That way you can process through it and move on Mm -hmm. faster. Mm -hmm. You know, if you just stay in the denial stage, which I think I was for a couple years, Mm -hmm. um, then it just drags out. Mm -hmm. And you never really get it resolved. You know, that's why I think it took me so long to get Mm -hmm. to a place where I was like, you know what, I just don't believe it. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. like getting to... the last sta- uh, stage, which is acceptance, which we'll okay. talk about in a second. Right.
1: I think it fell so quickly for me, though, because I'm not convinced that I was convinced before that it was actually true. Yeah. It was just something I was brought up in. So it was familiar.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was comfortable. Everyone around me believed it. It's like yeah. in hindsight, I think that maybe I didn't really actually believe it. Like I always struggled kind of with that, mm-hmm. the whole idea of a testimony. That's why I never wanted to get up and bear the test. My testimony mm-hmm. is like. What am I really going to say that hasn't already been said? Yeah, you know,
0: I, I can, I can remember a few instances, especially early on in high school, when I got up to bear testimony. Well, actually, it was like during a talk. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're asked to right. give a talk, and then you bear you your testimony. Bear your testimony, at the testimony. End of it. Yeah, yeah, um, and just. Knowing that I was lying about it.
1: Yeah, you know? I always had to write mine out, and it always revolved around whatever I was talking about in mm-hmm. the talk. It was always very short.
0: Yeah, and and I I was one of those people that would really drive home the conviction aspect, like oh. I know the church is true, mm-hmm. I know it, mm-hmm. you know, and like that kind of thing, mm-hmm. like just really emphasizing it and showing that you're you're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that, I think, was uh, sort of a subconscious. Um, way of kind of getting people to not ask me or question my, my conviction or my testimony, Mm -hmm. you know, because Mm -hmm. I wasn't really sure deep down if Mm -hmm. it was true. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I didn't want anybody to think that I didn't really know deep down that it was true. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be put on the spot. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be confronted on it,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know? And so I thought that the best way to do it would be to just say all of the stuff and be really, you know, convinced, you know, about it, mm-hmm. um, Sometimes I was able to make myself cry, you know, just get so emotional about uh-huh. it, like that kind of thing. And so whenever I see somebody, especially at BYU, when I was at BYU, somebody would start crying while they're bearing their testimony. To me, that's a red flag. It's, oh, really? it's a red flag that they're trying to convince themselves as much as anybody
1: else, uh-huh. you know. I would cry because I was absolutely terrified and I hated being up there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I wouldn't cry when I was like giving talks. It was like those few times when I would actually give it up and bear my testimony Yeah. or like during girls camp, you know, youth conference where you have the testimony meeting around the fire and everyone's all emotional, Mm. you know, stuff like that. Oh yeah, Those are awful. Super awful, (laughs) especially a youth conference, Mm -hmm. (laughs) even worse at youth conference when you've got all the guys and the girls together.
0: Mm. When it's all about, uh, I don't know if posturing is the right word, but they're trying to, to present a, a particular way.
1: Everyone just wants to come across as being worthy.
0: Yeah. Like they're the, the good example. Yeah. And they want to be the desirable mate.
1: Right. Which I also <laughs> hated because for some reason I was the good example and I mm-hmm. didn't know why. I was always in leadership positions and I hated it because I mm-hmm. had to come across as being like yeah. super into the faith. Yeah. But I also was never questioned about my faith for that same reason.
0: Yeah. And and I think that, the, that by and large the church – um, avoids questioning people's sincerity, um, possibly because of the, the reasons that I was giving where I didn't want to bring attention to my own insincerity. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's, it's a way of like, uh, let's see, it's, it's like they acknowledge that not everybody really believes it, but they want everybody to act like they really believe it, mm-hmm. you know, yep. it's, it's the reassurance every week you know they're they're yeah. getting together every seven every seven days to just you know say you know what it's still true yeah i know it's still true yeah right. isn't it great how it's still true right. you know
1: <laughs> that's why we can't just have christmas mass <laughs> mm-hmm. and
0: it was uh there was a clip by Christopher Hitchens where he actually talks about that and says that that's one of the strengths of secularism mm-hmm. and of science and of you know just Um, a non-magical worldview where it's based on evidence is you don't need to get together every seven days and reassure each other that you still believe Mm -hmm. it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. based on evidence. It's based on reason and logic. Those are, are a firm, um, a more firm foundation than faith or, you know, ancient scripture Mm -hmm. or standing up and saying, you believe something without evidence. Um, And because of that, you don't have to be reassured every couple of days Mm -hmm. that that what you believe for no good reason is still true.
1: Right. And Mormons are reassured of that more than just once a week. Yeah. It's Be- like you've got meetings yeah. all through the week. You've got family home evening on Monday, mm-hmm. mutual on Tuesday or Wednesday, Relief Society on Thursday. Yeah, And, <laughs> you yeah, and you're,
0: you're expected to commit to reading your scriptures and praying every single day, multiple
1: mm-hmm. times. Yep. You know. You've got board activities once or twice a month. Like, mm-hmm. it's all the
0: time. Yeah, it consumes your life.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: And it, it's designed to do that. Yep. You know, it's the prepackaged social structure.
1: Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why the singles ward was great because mm-hmm. I didn't have to commit to anything. It was a lot easier <laughs> to avoid. Yeah, because you don't live around everyone.
0: Mm-hmm. I w- I was in a, a ward where it was a lot closer together, and it, everybody did know whether or not people mm-hmm. would show up to dif- different activities.
1: Mm-hmm. It was definitely but. harder in college to avoid it, oh, okay. but I got lucky with my roommates because they hated going to stuff like that too. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't like a guilt trip or anything, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. Mormon BYU. Yeah. They love their guilt trips. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay. So the, the fourth um, stage is depression.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I'm so sad. Why bother with anything? I'm going to die soon. So what's the point? I miss my loved one. Why go on during the fourth stage? The individual become saddened by the mathematical probability of death. In this state, the individual may become silent, refuse visitors, and spend much of the time mournful and sullen. So for me, this happened um, in the denial stage. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah, I feel like all of these are intermingled mm-hmm. when yeah. it comes to the religious yeah. aspect.
0: Like, I, I very much avoided doing research. I kind of had this suspicion that I didn't really believe it. Mm -hmm. And I denied that I didn't really believe it Mm -hmm. or that I didn't have a good reason to believe it. And that is depressing, especially, um, I mean, you know, my family, (laughs) (laughs) they are very, very Mormon. They are true believers. Yeah. Um, in particular, my mother Mm -hmm. and the idea of, um, disappointing her, um, was enough to to keep me from asking the tough questions for a really long time. Um, not because you know, you always want to do what your mom tells you to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. Right. It's like, I know the grief that she will go through. Mm-hmm. Um, if I leave,
2: right.
0: you know, and then so, so, so for me, I denied it for a really long time for a couple of years. And then my sister Megan came out as an atheist and she started going through all of this stuff very openly with the family at least mm-hmm. and she had conversations with my with my mom and my mom was distraught and was uh, you know broken up about it um and so like i saw it like i i saw exactly what was going to happen to me mm-hmm. if i came out as mm-hmm. well you know and that i don't i don't know I, there were times when that made it harder and there were times when it made it easier mm-hmm. it just kind of went back and forth mm-hmm. you know
1: because she'd already experienced those emotions once. Right,
0: right. So she, she had kind of broken the ice and gotten the ball moving, mm. but at the same time, I knew that I was just going to add to the shitstorm. Right. You know. Mm. Um, and then acceptance is the last one, number five. Um, it's going to be okay. I can't fight it. I may as well prepare for it. In this last stage, individuals embrace mortality or inevitable future or that of a loved one or other tragic event. Um, People dying may precede the survivors in this state, which typically comes with a calm retrospective view for the individual and a stable condition of emotions. Um, And then they go on to explain how the order is different for different people. You don't necessarily have to go through all of them. Um, These are just common um, stages of grief Mm -hmm. um, or loss. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know. Would you say that you are in the acceptance stage?
1: Um, Probably. I mean, going back to the depression one, I don't know Mm -hmm. that I've ever been depressed about this whole leaving the church thing. I've Um, felt a lot of guilt, though. So I would switch depression um, out with guilt in my case. And I would say I still feel a lot of guilt. Like, I still can't talk. I'm not comfortable talking to my parents about Mm. where I'm at. Yeah. even though I've accepted personally where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready to broach that. Yeah,
0: I guess I was actually in that same boat for a while. I had done a lot of research. I had uh, read a few books from Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and mm-hmm. Sam Harris and um, watched tons of clips from The Atheist Experience, which is a great program. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was comfortable with the idea of being an atheist mm-hmm. and and kind of leaving Mormonism um despite being surrounded by it right um but i but i still avoided telling my family about it
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then one day my mom just asked me point blank and then yeah. everything just kind of flew into the open and <laughs> yeah
1: i'm worried that's going to end up being what happens with me too but yeah meh.
0: yeah and it, it's tricky mm-hmm. you know because part of you well Part of me, I should say, um, wanted to be open about it and honest about it, right. and just get it out of the way, mm-hmm. so to speak. But on the other hand, again, I knew what you know my sister had done to my mom mm-hmm. when she came out, and I knew what what would happen to her again if I came out.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: you just don't want to put that on somebody, right. you know. Right. But but on some level, it, it seems like it's kind of a good thing or a necessary thing. It's, it's a way of truly being open and honest with people that you care about. You know, it's like, do they really know you if they don't know what you believe, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, and what is it? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's tricky. It's hard. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. Especially listening to podcasts where they're like, if it's Mm -hmm. safe for you to come out, come out. It's like, Mm -hmm. I feel like it is safe for me to come out. Like Mm -hmm. nothing really bad is going to happen, but I don't know.
0: Yeah, but it's still hard.
1: It is really hard. Mm. <laughs> it is so hard. Yeah, because Especially because I've never been a person to talk about things. Mm. Never talked about my feelings with my family. Never talked about what I wanted, what I, you know, my thoughts, mm. opinions. I've never done that. It's never been an environment where I felt comfortable doing that ever. Right.
0: Because Mormons don't breed that kind of environment. No, the contention is the of the same devil. Thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, yeah, it's just it's really frightening to me to even consider doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. So. so what would you do if they confronted you? I have no
1: idea. I, I don't know. A part of me, like, I feel like I'm getting to the point where I'm not going to try and sugarcoat it anymore. Uh-huh. Um, I've been wanting to get a little more confrontational, at least like via social media, kind of
2: uh-huh.
1: not face to face. Cause I have a really hard time with that. But yeah. So I think depending on like, if it happened today, I'm not entirely sure what would it go, you know, how it would go down if I would try and like like what I did with my mom and told her that I still believe in a God and a Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, but I'm not sure about my testimony type thing. I don't know if it might go that way or mm-hmm. be like, yep, yeah, I don't believe it. I've turned in my resignation letter and I'm no longer a member, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, It'll kind of depend on the atmosphere too. And who's there. And who's there.
0: Yeah. That was the other thing for me. Cause like one of the reasons why I avoided telling my mom for a long time was because my youngest brother, Taylor, mm. hadn't gone on a mission yet. Right. And I didn't want to be...
1: The influence. Right. Or the, seen as an influence. Right. Like, if,
0: if I started talking openly at family functions about my disbelief mm. and then Taylor starts getting doubts in his in his mind mm. and doesn't go on a mission, right. guess who they're going to blame?
1: Yeah. You. Me. Yeah. And that
0: will be something that they'll never get over Mm -hmm. you know
1: Mm -hmm. and that's part of why like i have a hard time with it too because chris is still just 15 Mm -hmm. like he's very much under their thumb and it's like if i do come out is it going to be something where they don't want him to be around me at all you know Mm -hmm. is it you know know, i'm gonna have supervised visits or whatever like everyone else in my family they're capable of making their own decisions even Mm -hmm. though some of them still live at home like you know they can come and go as they please they Mm -hmm. can be friends with who they want Chris is still young yeah. You know And it's like He's still got Six years before Or I guess Three years before He's going on a mission And is considered Technically an adult And can mm-hmm. make decisions On his own But it's like That's a long time For him to be Heavily influenced By my parents Against me If I right. You know Come out And it goes south Yeah So that's part Of the reason too Yeah You know But Yeah Yeah it's dumb. It's, it's awful that you can't feel comfortable with your own family, you know? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. But I've never felt comfortable with my own family. I haven't Mm. ever. It's like the only way I can communicate with my parents for a long time was writing letters to them in the same house. Mm. You know, I'd write it like late at night, leave it by the door Mm. and then be at school and not have to worry about it and come home and find like a letter on my pillow. Like that's how I communicated with my parents Mm. because I couldn't talk yeah verbally communicate at all and they have a way of like doing things one-on-one they never talk in a group Mm -hmm. so you don't know what's going on with everyone else either it's like it's always very i don't think they mean for it to be very confrontational but it is confrontational it's Mm -hmm. like if you're going out to lunch with your parents Mm one-on-one it's like they have something they need to talk to you about and it's super (laughs) nerve-wracking super nerve-wracking
0: it's like you just feel like you're being cornered yeah Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, you don't have anyone around you to support you. Like, if it was, like, me and Missy at a time, like, I would have a support system. Mm-hmm. Or if it was you and I, and they, you know, asked me, like, where right. I was at in the church, I would have someone there to support me, back me up, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, one-on-one, it's like, yeah. <laughs> I've got nothing in. I freak out. <laughs> yeah. So.
0: Yeah. And that, and that um, interestingly enough, is very similar to the way that the Mormon church handles um, doubters in general. Yeah. Um, it's the, it's the divide and conquer.
1: Yeah. They single you out. Yeah. They don't get you together with other doubters Mm -hmm. and be like, okay, so what is everyone's problem? Let's talk about this together.
0: Right. No, they want you to talk to your Bishop Mm one-on-one and then, you know, not be vocal about it in any church meetings or activities. You know, don't communicate your doubts with other members that you know are doubting Mm -hmm. or that have left the church. Mm -hmm. Avoid anti-Mormon materials. Mm
1: -hmm. But inevitably gets out. Mm-hmm. Rumors spread like wildfire in a ward. Yeah, it's like I knew about everyone's indiscretions in my ward. Everyone that was getting yeah. divorced, why they were getting divorced, you know. Yeah. <laughs> why people weren't going to the temple? Like it just gets out. Mm. You don't take the sacrament once, and you're, you're a heathen.
0: just yep. Wear that scarlet A. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, anything else to add?
1: to the five stages Mm -hmm. nope
0: okay that's all i have do you have any other stories or anything
1: um just another real quick one okay um the state of california has now made it easier for women to get their hands on birth control Hmm. basically this has been in the works for a couple of years but they've hit a couple of roadblocks but um it's almost like birth control getting it over the counter but Mm -hmm. not quite over the counter because there are still a few things you have to go through, but okay. it just makes access easier. Women don't have to schedule doctor's appointments anymore ahead of time. You know, mm-hmm. they can just go to a pharmacy, tell the pharmacist that they want birth control. They have a little um, like they go through a little rundown with the pharmacist where they like take your blood pressure, make sure that any of the um, birth controls aren't going to like affect your blood pressure, things like that. Make sure okay. that you're healthy and ready. You know, can mm-hmm. actually take the birth control, and you can just get it that way now. So that's That's pretty cool. Um, Yeah. Obviously, there's some opposition to it, but
0: yeah, it's right because in a lot of you know a lot of minds, contraception is tantamount to abortion, Mm -hmm. which is tantamount to murder.
1: Right, (laughs) right. One of um, in the article, the the, one of the negatives against it that someone brought up was that it was um, cutting off that um, daughter to mother communication. Mm-hmm. Because a daughter can just go in and get birth control now. Which is a good thing. It is a good thing. Because
0: the, if there is that kind of privacy mm-hmm. uh, on such a, an important issue, mm-hmm. um, then they're more likely to get help. Right. You know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it would be interesting to know like how young they're letting girls get it. Uh-huh. Um, like, if there's an age cap, like, do you have to be 18? Are they letting high school children, you know, just go up there? Yeah. You know, get a 13-year-old, just go up there. That would be interesting to find out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd necessarily have a, a problem with younger kids getting it, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it's... I don't
0: know. Well, see, that's the thing is it, it's tricky because of parental rights right. okay, and guardianship. Mm-hmm. Um and parents having to say in like the uh, the medical procedures that their child undertakes, mm-hmm. um, but on, at the same time, um, you don't have to have your parents' permission to get pregnant. Right. You don't have to have your parents' permission to start being promiscuous or mm-hmm. or acting out sc- sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, and if somebody is in a position where they can be sexually active. Mm-hmm then they should have access to, to. birth control and mm-hmm. contraception. Yeah. You and I agree
1: with that. Mm-hmm. That's
0: good you know, even if it's just a condom, right. even if that's all that they get access to, that's at least something. Yeah. you know,
1: mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood. Yeah. Three free condoms. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: nice that they have a cap.
1: <laughs> well, you can buy them for a dollar after that, but oh, you okay. get three free ones. I see. Okay.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Planned Parenthood. We needed to talk about that eventually. Just been avoiding it because there's so much to talk there's about.
1: There's way too much to talk about. Yeah. So many things going on.
0: I think we did mention it on an episode. I actually get
1: way. yeah, I actually get alerts from Planned Parenthood now. Oh, we, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. I signed up for their action alerts. Sweet. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, that's all I got.
1: Yep. Me too. Sweet. That's our show. Thanks for
0: listening. If you would like to contact us, you can email us at squared podcast at gmail.com. You can check out the show's blog at squared www.skepticsquaredpodcast.blogspot.com. You can rate us and review us on pretty much everything, probably, mostly. Yeah, right? Yeah, something yep. like that. And we will see you next time on the Skeptic Squared Podcast.
1: Bye. Ciao. Bye. Ciao. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>